0: The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. A million years from now, reality itself was almost destroyed. It was saved by a hero. Yeah, it was saved by you. In your reality, where you are right now, the Cybermen have already conquered Earth. Okay. As a wise man once said, I won't say. I can't make this choice. So you've got to. You're the doctor now. and welcome to the Doctor Who pod, with just Dan again this week, veering off from the wonderful TV world of the mad alien with the blue box to bring you episode two of my look at the video game Doctor Who, Edge of Reality on PS4. Uh, Jumping straight back into it, I loaded the game up for the first time in six months, and I was back in Time Park uh, from before, and there's something flickering looks vaguely like a cyberman and it was just then that i realized it was called time park i don't think i mentioned that in the uh, in the first episode and i did a bit of research and it's not a real park But anyway, that's where we are. And another thing I didn't mention in the first episode was the touchpad mechanic for flicking through the Journal of Impossible Things. Now, it's a great sort of use of the the touchpad there on the PS4 controller. I do like it. It's not perfect. Every time you open the journal, it goes from the start. Pages don't get added in order, and it's just... Yeah, it's good, but it's, it, there's something a little bit lacking with it. But, you know, fun little mechanic that they didn't have to put in, but they did. Another thing I forgot to mention in the first episode uh, were the collectible items. You have a scope. In there, and you pick find items usually related to uh, to one doctor or another, or you know something that's happened in uh, throughout the series, uh, very uh, reminiscent of the uh, of the Perkley episode that we'll cover, uh, Carnival of Monsters. So that was a really nice uh, sort of tie in for me. I popped for it huge, as you'll hear on the on the full episode uh, about Carnival of Monsters. There. So going back to the game, the first time I explored the whole area. This time, found the house easy, bit of muscle memory, knew where it was, repeated what we did before uh, to get to the phonograph puzzle. So the whole point of where we left off and where I was getting frustrated uh, was to collect four books, uh, burn them in the correct order, to unlock the next bit. The thing I didn't notice and immediately felt like a dumb shit for was that the four books have covers corresponding to the picture right above the fireplace. Uh, the, it goes in the order Leaf, Bug, Cocoon, Firefly. And, I, yeah, just felt like a bit of a dumb shit, for not realising that, but, you know, it gets to us all, doesn't it? Uh, I'm not not the best at puzzles, as, uh, as you may find out. And full disclosure, I did end up looking up what it was because it frustrated me so much the first time. So... Yeah, not very good at games, as will become abundantly clear. But very cool uh, little thing here. Uh, you have the you know the butterfly stuff, and a fiery butterfly comes out of the fireplace uh, that goes towards a painting, and you approach it in a creepy voice. Says, "Free me. Use the flames." Uh, there's a candle in one of the uh, one of the holders, uh, and you put it in. Uh, so you take it out of one of the holders and put it into uh, a holder by the oil painting of a woman pushing a pram. Looked around for the second one, and you're going around this study, and you can't find it. It is not there for love nor money, and it's one of those things in games that I absolutely hate, and it's when you just have to wait around for something to happen. Um, Although I will give this its due, it scared the living shit out of me when a voice said, set me free, flames are key. Uh, because it came out really loud, and then the woman with the pushchair in the painting has moved. And you have Emma in your ear pointing that out, and just saying, I think we we'll listen to the demon painting before she gets annoyed. So, yeah, that was, you know, nice little touch, a little bit of levity. And then the second candle has appeared. So, a good jump scare, but a, a shitty way of getting there, if I'm really honest. I, I thought I was going nuts. Yeah, and I know I'm not good at games, as I mentioned before, but really... Really? That? That? But whatever, it's fine. Uh, you put the second candle in, you get a voice saying, bring me home into the light, and the woman and the pram in the painting move, and it, they're very close up. Then the door opens on its own, and this was incredibly tense. Incredibly tense. You find the third candle in the hallway, put it in the final holder, the whole scene fades to black... And it's a fucking weeping angel coming out of the painting. <laughs> Another decent jump scare. Kind of shit myself, if I'm honest. But then my appetite for horror games it has severely diminished as I've gotten older. Uh, my nerves aren't the same as they used to be. Uh, but again, very good. The angel's holding a key to put in the phonograph. And you know, as, as we all know, it's, it's a trionic lattice, which is you know it's just standard equipment, really. Uh, a lift emerges from the middle of the room you get in it and descend into the crypt and just going down there, you know, there's going to be angels down there. You know, it's going to happen. And I just went into the whole thing after the experience with the second candle not coming through. And I was just hoping it wouldn't be some cheesy manufactured difficulty, RNG kill from behind bullshit. I I was really hoping it wouldn't, wouldn't go that low. Um, we have a torch with us, which, I, again, I don't think I mentioned in the first episode. That's the problem, when you've not uh, not played the game for six months, you forget bits and pieces. Uh, but we actually have a blacklight torch as well, and that reveals scrape marks on the floor, which is effectively leading us to where the time crystal is, and then the Doctor will summon the TARDIS to extract us. Uh, if you Emma gives a rundown of Weeping Angels' defences and keeping them in sight, we get another jump scare, where you turn a corner, and there's an angel, and you get a string sting on the music. It was a really effective use of the music. And by this point, I was in my uh, my third pair of underwear in about five minutes. It uh, definitely got me. For someone who loves horror as much as I do, it, the games really do have an effect. And and speaking of, of sound effects and the use of music, you you do often hear scraping stone noises in this area. It's tense but also doesn't make a lot of sense. Tense? Sense? Sense? Tense? Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense because why would the angels be making a scraping stone noise if we can't see them? Are they slowly turn into stone when it's supposed to be instant, but either way, the sound effect is good as long as you don't think about it too much. We got to I got to the time cabinet eventually um, because the noises are just noises you can walk straight through. Uh, found the cabinet and the, the crystal with an angel at the door I pressed square to interact, and the angel got me anyway. It's, I think, my second death in the game by this point, and it was bullshit. It was literally the button prompt, did not work, and it pissed me off. So I tried it again, there was a time glitch, The uh, we come back, and all the angels are looking at each other like in blink. So I went from being annoyed at the bullshit death to popping because something reminded me of one of my favourite Doctor Who episodes, so fair enough. And then we get the TARDIS noise, and I'm glad to be out of there because, like I say, it got, got me good a few times. Heart was pumping, um, and it was it's a good section of the game despite that bullshit death, but I can't really hold too much against it. We're back in the control room at this point where uh, where the doctor, uh, Jodie Whittaker's doctor, is asking what took so long and, and been figuring out what's causing the reality virus. Uh, but then we get a force trying to f- uh, fix us in a tractor beam, Remote pilot, the TARDIS, pull the lever and off we go. And at this point, I get another crossover that I didn't fully appreciate. Uh, when I made these notes, we land on Metabellis 4. Uh, better than 3, which is mentioned in, uh, in Carnival of Monsters, uh, but not as good as 1 or 2. And then we get a, a, a bit of an exhibition dump. Uh, the doctors figured it out and it's not good, uh, You know, it's all blah de blah Uh, Emma, at this point, is visualising stuff for us, and the Doctor runs through the start of the universe and the mystery of the first sentient creature. By definition, the first creature with awareness was all alone. Uh, She spawned more more of her own species and became the first mother. Universe expanded and life spread. The first sentient being, who henceforth will be known as the first, slept for billions of years. But she was the template and she had design flaws the most serious of which was that she didn't know how to die. And when she was revived, she looked on in horror at what life had become, all the wars and cruelty and brutality, and felt duty-bound to right the wrongs and destroy all sentient life, returning the universe to how it was before. So essentially, the first has turned into a hyper-intelligent but damaged figure, currently in a humanoid form, nurturing conflict and chaos to expedite destruction. Not a god, and not evil, but determined to destroy all life to atone. And it is, it's a really interesting take on, on, on a villain because the concept of the first kind of sentient being in the universe, is quite a lot to wrap your head around, but boiling it down to that and saying, you know, that this, this being isn't entirely evil, but is powerful and maybe doesn't have morality as we know it. It is really sort of interesting and thought provoking. And, not something that I can fully go into on a one-sided conversation, because otherwise I'd just be rattling my own thoughts around it and, and ultimately getting nowhere. Um, it's something I'll, I'll try and bring up in in the Doctor Who pod in, in future episodes if if the, t- if the opportunity arises. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a new villain. It's unique to the game and brilliant stuff. So after all that, we're on the way to get the last time crystal to enable the Doctor to save the universe. But the first is on our trail. We've never been in more danger. Uh, we're in this temple on Metabellis 4, and we're in some form of temple. Uh, we cross the br- this bridge and use the sonic screwdriver to reveal the crystal. We try to take it, but it causes a time glitch. Now, at this point, I just went into the journal, because I don't know why. I just did. And I found out that Manfred Grail is an ancestor of Julius Grail from The Angels Take Manhattan. And with all the links and everything that we've got in this um, in this game, it's really cool to see that. So Manfred Grail was harbouring angels or working with them or manipulating them somehow for his own ends in the game, and then and in the TV show. They've, you know, they've just tied it all together in a lovely little bow. It's it's really good stuff. I've really enjoyed it and, and popped huge because you know that sort of my era is the Matt Smith era, and it was just yeah, just a great little moment. Uh, We're in in a crypt in the temple, and there's a Dalek uh, stealth section. So we have to manoeuvre our way around. There's plenty of things to throw and distract as the Daleks are sensitive to sound. Uh, I was going to say it seems pretty standard, but I I fucked it up a couple of times because I couldn't see the door controls and I got exterminated. Uh, But it's good. You can pick up little nuts and bolts, or you can pick up a Dalek head. And just lob it around. It, it's it, there's a lot of ways to do it, and, it, and it's pretty amusing trying to outsmart a Dalek. The uh, Emma has a great line as well, where she calls Daleks cheese graters from hell, uh, which again, just amusing. You have to go through a few a few rooms. Uh, the Cyberman is trying to push through reality again, as we saw at the start of the episode. One of the rooms I absolutely proper fudged my way through because I found a. I don't know if it's a bug or just a blind spot where I could just hide in the corner and try and run away. So it was just trial and error at that point. It was, um, yeah, I found a way to do it. It wasn't the way it was intended, but I'll take it. This, uh, this next bit, once you get through the rooms, it looks like we're in a dead end and there's a random loading screen and no cutscene, no explanation, no voiceover as to why we're in there or how it's happened or what's going on but we're somehow inside a dalek and we're battling other daleks so while the while the actual being in there and and the story behind it with there was nothing and, and i think that's a fairly poor this actual section is a lot of fun it's a great sort of counterpoint to the stealth and the ultimate powerlessness of just sneaking around and now we're just blasting them to bits and it's a uh, first person perspective because obviously this was a vr game uh our field of view so you're looking through the daleks eye stalk which i really like and your field of view gets narrower as your health deteriorates so it's as if the power's draining from the dalek and and as your life goes down it's it's just a really cool little thing and i love that uh It was just nice to feel powerful at this point as well. As I say, there was a big firefight in a room with six Daleks and there's these drones flying around. I did have to do a couple of tactical uh, retreats for health regeneration. Um, But again, kind of fudging it a little bit. But as I've said, I'm not very good at video games, so got to do it by any means necessary. We... Get a lift up to a vault with the up to the vault with the time crystal. Daleks emerge from doors either side, but they're fairly easy to deal with. The drones, on the other hand, were absolute bastards. They nearly got me quite a few times. So in this thing, the the, uh, the vault is is protected, and it's got four energy beams that are powering the shields. So you've got to take out the four power modules and then blast the dais that the uh, that the things on. So I got two of those, uh, two thirds of it off before I was blindsided and killed. So we're down again, and it took a, it took a couple of goes, but we get there in the end. It was a fun little thing. The aiming's a bit fiddly, but ultimately, it was fun. It, there's nothing like this in the rest of the game, really. So it was a it was a really nice little level. Uh, we finally blast all the stuff um, off the uh, off the crystal chamber. There, uh, these items are revealed nearby. I can't remember what the were, It wasn't important. We unlock the uh, this vault, and it's the TARDIS, and that was a fairly big surprise. Oh, brilliant stuff. We're in the TARDIS. Great, except you open it, and it's a blank interior, and all we hear is "We're too late. She's wiped out reality." Which, in the terms of Doctor Who, in terms of Doctor Who, opening the door and seeing a blank TARDIS interior is really cool because I that doesn't happen often if at all the only thing the the only example that springs to mind is river song opening the the door and seeing a brick wall uh, when the TARDIS exploded before matt smith rebooted the universe so very cool uh, we get transported to the inner temple of the first and she is enormous and impossibly powerful and you know we're talking planet sized being and thinking how the hell can we fight that but turns out the first can hear us, and when it's said, impossibly powerful. You say that like it's a bad thing, is heard from the first, and the look of the first. The look of the first is that she's almost like faceless, but there are features in there. It's, it, it's, it's humanoid and resembling of humans, but not fully, you know, not fully there, and just alien enough, I think, um, and quite sinister because one of the first things she says. Is power in the right hands can be beautiful, and you don't need to worry about my omnipotence. After all, Mother knows best, and you know it's it's, it's the right. I say the right side of psychotic. It's just psychotic enough to really get to you and think, "Oh, all right, bit odd." A bit strange, and again, it's a it's a bit of a, an exposition dump here, um, and not a lot of agency over what's going on. The first start saying about how she only wants what's best for her children. Can you hold that against her? The only difference is she has power to make her resolve a reality, and that the destruction and rebirth is a second chance, universal annihilation for a brighter tomorrow. And then everything fades, and. The reality virus is sort of bringing everything together. But at this point of weakness in reality is our prime point to fight back. And it just needs a leap of faith. And we we'll go back and we're looking at the first again. Uh, Emma says we're back in the land of the living. The doctors filled Emma in. We don't, didn't need the on, but needed it to go to the places that we visited because the first was watching us. So the locations were the last thing in the first memory, so the last bits of reality to be destroyed. And the Doctor's hidden three items, one in each environment, all look out of place and are bound to the first in some way. When placed together, they form a device powerful enough to take down the first. So it's it's a bit convoluted, if I'm really honest. But it makes all the traipsing around... Well it gives a point to it, I suppose, because you know we've been all these places and now we've got to do a quick revisit, which is better than, you know, full on back and you know, full on back and forth and, and trawling around like in some games. So we effectively go back to the laundrette, everything's sort of floaty and weird and not quite right as reality collapses. And all you have to do is look around and find a glowing object to strengthen the connection, whatever that means. Uh, it was weirdly easy to find them, you know, you just find the glowy bit. Press the button and you've got it. Then we get dragged back to the temple to put the pieces together. The first mocks us as being too late and, you know, just talk shit at us basically, and, you know, in victory. Uh, the doctor and the Time Lords thought that the first might do this, so created a device to send her back to the beginning and send her back in time. The doctor split it in and used us to retrieve it. Had offered the first a truce, but she refused, so now we've got to send her back to the genesis of time, which. It's quite a nice explanation because obviously, when you hear a weapon to take down the first, you're thinking, "But the doctor doesn't kill, so what could it possibly be?" And I'm going to call it a time cannon because that's what it is. There's no real peril, which is quite weird, from uh, you know, for facing the big boss and and the big evil. But you sonic the device. The first is pulled through a vortex to the genesis of time, and the final words of the first are think of me kindly when i'm gone i only wanted what is best for my children and this is interesting because i think the sort of a, there's a sort of rule in television and in writing in general that there's nothing worse than when a villain has a point and a thing about empathetic villains um, being better than than out and out bastards, unless the unless you get a really good bastard. So for an out and out bastard in television, you're looking at, at Joffrey Baratheon in Game of Thrones. For a villain with a point, you're looking at well, a recent example would be the High Evolutionary in Guardians of the Galaxy Three, or um, or who was the other MCU villain? I'm blanking on it, but there's been a couple of you know a couple of those examples. This actually just makes me a little bit sad, even though the first was going to kill some, you know, kill everything. It's, yeah, it makes you think. As I said before, there is a lot to get into on that, and I think they did a good job. But there was uh, the the lack of peril really, really didn't didn't sit well. It it all felt very paint by numbers and and very easy. But you know, it's a bit of a power trip eventually, and we get congratulated by the Doctor on saving the universe. So, although I say I can't complain too much, I have complained. But that's just the way it goes with these things. I'm running off bullet point notes and you're getting stream of consciousness. So if that didn't make sense or I'm contradicting myself, I'm sorry. I'm only human. Uh, (laughs) At this point, we're back in the TARDIS. Uh, Zapping the first back means the virus never existed in the first place. But that means that we are now in a time loop and this will happen over and over again. And there's a nice little callback because that's how uh, Manfred Grail knew about us. So, in those recordings uh, we talked about in the first episode, Manfred Grail was effectively seeing us for, you know, however many time. So it was nice to close it that way. I thought that was a neat little narrative. And at this point, Jodie apologizes. Uh, sorry, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor apologizes for misleading us, but it was necessary. And going to download Emma into a body, so Emma can, uh, you know, live basically and, and experience time and space. Now, this is where the original game ended. The VR version ended, I believe. But just at this point in the PS4 version, the cloister bell rings, signifying more shit is going down. And that's where I'm going to leave it for today. Uh, We will be back for a part three, because there's more to it, and everything from here is exclusive to the console release of the game. So overall thoughts on, on this sort of part two. Uh, there was a lot to like with the uh, with the weeping angels in you know, a very good tense horror section, nice stealth section with the Dalek uh, sneaking around with the Dalek sneaking around and avoiding those and then a nice little power fantasy uh, being in the Dalek casing and blasting a few of them about. it's a, I suppose a little bit I, I don't want to say tech demo, but it does everything well without doing anything outstanding. And the story's good, the story carries it, you know, you want to see what happens next. There's a couple of, I had a couple of bullshit deaths, and one death that was entirely my own fault, you know, while I was in the Dalek and not paying attention properly, but it's decent, you know, it's funny enough, but the story does carry it, the story's the high point. And yeah, I think just the last, only thing I can reiterate is, it was just a bit annoying that we didn't have any real peril in defeating the big bad, Uh, It all felt a little bit too easy by the end. Well, I say the end. It's not the end, is it? There's more to come. Please join me next time for part three and the final part of this look at Edge of Reality on PS4 where we'll be looking at the extra chapter. Uh, that was put in for the console version so if you want to hear more of me talking Doctor Who come along with on the Doctor Who pod with myself and Sai you probably already listened to it if you're listening to this Uh, but as as you may not be aware we look at one episode or serial per Doctor per season Uh, we have four guests on a season it's a good laugh Uh, talking about the mad alien in the blue box Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter I'm on there at to Dan Griffin 21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies and TV that are 25 years out of date. And you can also hear me on Unbooking the Territory and all the spin off podcasts there. Uh, we're, uh, we're on Twitter at UTT Podcast. And as I'm doing my outro, a bike road's past, so enjoy that. Uh, but for any other podcasting needs, head over to SJP World Media uh, for all things wrestling, television, and just a myriad of wonderful magnificent things and all that's left to say is thank you